Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, so let's jump right into it. First up is a Super Game Boy Clock Speed mod from QWERTY Moto. The short, short version is that Super Game Boys run at a different clock speed than the original Game Boy and the Super Game Boy 2, so the experience isn't perfectly accurate to the original. So QWERTY Moto came up with a board that's a much easier method than people have had before to mod that so that you get the proper speed. And then once you have the proper speed, you could then do something like even add an extension port so that you could plug a, a different, or a link port, so you could plug a different Game Boy into it. Uh, but we go into great detail about this mod in the interview. I finally had time to go back and re-interview QWERTY Moto. We had done a short interview a while back, and while it was great, the audio came out pretty bad. So I wanted to redo it, as well as talk about some of the updated things he'd been working on, uh, such as the Super Game Boy Clock Speed mod that I just mentioned. So if you're interested in that, please give it a listen. And I really want to go back to doing a lot more interviews. I was just trying to juggle so many things at the same time, but I really enjoy doing those, and I especially like talking to people in the retro gaming scene whose work that we've all used, whether we know it or not, because uh, I think a lot of people like that really deserve to have their name out there. So another big thank you to Cordy Moto for all the work that he does, as well as doing the interview. And just a reminder, anything like an, uh, an interview with somebody, or I guess all the weekly stuff, will always be available audio only as well. Because while it's nice to get the YouTube views and everything, I understand that most people would actually prefer to just listen to an, uh, the audio of an interview. I know I'm a big fan of like the Joe Rogan podcast and stuff, and I almost never watch it on YouTube just because it's awesome to have. So, uh, you know, while, while walking around and stuff. So just another reminder that all the videos I do are now on YouTube, BitChute, and Library, and audio is available everywhere. So anywhere you could find an audio podcast... Uh, I believe the full list is iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, I think there was more up there. And, of course, direct download just from RetroRGB.com forward slash podcast. So I hope to get back to doing a bunch more of those. And once again, thanks to Cordimoto. The team behind the RGB Pi has just teased a JAMA adapter that will soon be available. And the RGB Pi is currently a hardware device that plugs into a Raspberry Pi and outputs SCART. It's a very minimalist design, as is their JAMA adapter, and I think it works excellent, as well as the software that they offer with it. So that's been more important to me lately, because there's a bunch of great different Raspberry Pi 240p options available now. My favorites are the RGB Pi and the RetroTINK Ultimate, but the way they approach the software I thought was awesome. So I'm really looking forward to testing this. I have the perfect little CRT-based tabletop arcade machine, and I really want to dig into things like ROM compatibility, um, button remapping, basic ease of use. Because the one thing that I've found with JAMA setups uh, over things like just a USB controller-based Raspberry Pi setup is it's common that you'll have arcade machines that don't have six buttons per player. So it could be a pretty complicated process to remap buttons on games that, you know, like OutRun is always my favorite example. Uh, for a three-button arcade, it's really nice to have uh, high and low shifting as up and down, steering with left and right, and then, you know, just normal uh, gas and brake. And that's harder to configure on your average setup than you would imagine. Whereas your average person with a USB controller probably already has six buttons anyway, and you can just figure out which button does what. So... I'm going to dig into it pretty deep. I hope to get an actual detailed video and, uh, and maybe make a big deal out of this because if it works as good as I hope, 
this might be a great solution for people just looking to easily integrate these adapters into arcade machines. Um, maybe I should try a JAMA switch as well, so that way you could have people with real arcade setups that also want to throw in a Raspberry Pi just for messing around. But either way, as you can tell, I'm excited about it, so I'll keep everybody updated when there's more news, and hopefully have a, a good video out about it. A new handheld console was just announced called the Playdate, and it seems to be kind of an interesting piece of equipment. First, it's got a crank on the side, uh, which that alone is kind of unique. It'd be fun if that's how it was powered. Um, and it's just a monochrome screen, so obviously it's supposed to be for more basic games. I guess, to me, that reminds me of like a non-crappy version of the Tiger Electronic games from back in the day. And there's not much information out there yet, other than there's going to be games released in seasons. So I guess Season 1 will have 12 games that are kind of simple in nature, and then maybe they'll charge for different seasons after that. Not really sure how any of that's going to work. But it's made by Panic Inc., who a company who's been known for making Mac applications uh, and publish indie titles. So kind of an interesting concept. Um, you know, as always, I keep uh, high hopes, but uh, I'm skeptical. So let's see what it does when it's released, and hopefully it'll be a fun little thing. It looks like I'm going to be doing a panel at Too Many Games next month. The panel is Saturday, June 22nd at 3.30 p.m. in panel room 2. And I'm pretty excited because I've never been to too many games before. I've been to a ton of other expos and I've presented at many as well, but this is my first time going to too many games. So if you're going to be there that Saturday, please stop by. I'd really love to see anybody who's got the time to swing by and watch the panel. And uh, hopefully we can have some fun like we normally do. Also, uh, I believe Psycho Stick is playing Friday night. I love those guys. Great band. Very funny. Uh, good people too. If you happen to run into them, definitely say hi. Uh, so I think I'll probably get there for that on Friday, so I'll be able to see them. Then I'll just be hanging out and partying and having fun. And I will be all day Saturday probably hanging out at the Black Dog Tech booth, which is Dan and Kristoff, the creators of the DC HDMI and Time Sleuth. So if you're around, definitely swing by Dan and Kristoff's booth. Say hi to them. Say hi to me. Come party with Psycho Stick uh, and watch the show on Friday night. And definitely, if you have time, swing by the panel, because I love doing these. They're usually so much fun, and, uh, you know, hopefully they're a help to people that show up, too. I try to make them very non-too-technical, very clear and, and easy to understand, and I try not to nerd out and get boring. So, no complaints so far, but hopefully I get to see you all there. I recently talked about Vitor Vilela creating a Gradius 3 patch that allows it to offload some of the CPU power to the SA1 chip. And that patch alone was a pretty amazing feat because it allowed you to remove a lot of the terrible slowdown from Gradius 3, as well as use it on real hardware with the SD to SNES. But there was some conversations going on is if that could actually be done on a real cartridge. So Voltar took an adapter board designed by the real Phoenix and was able to do exactly that. He took a donor cart, which I believe was PGA Tour 96, which aren't too terribly expensive, they're still reasonably priced, uh, and used this adapter, chip, uh, adapter board to put a ROM of Gradius 3 on it, and it seems to work perfect. So stuff like this is really exciting. I mean, you're, just, you're taking stuff that people thought was absolutely impossible and making it awesome. And in fact, you could actually look back and probably could have done this in 96 if some, ha uh, some people had the ability to re-release a game like that. So it was obviously unfeasible back then to do something, but it's awesome that we get to do something like this today. 
So thank you to everybody involved in this, to Vitor, to the Real Phoenix, to Voltar. It's just so cool that we have the ability to do stuff these days. A Japanese company called Columbus Circle has just announced a plug-and-play HDMI board for the PC Engine for $35 to be released in August. So I think it's a good idea to have extremely low expectations for a device like this. Um, first and foremost, shaping the video signal coming out of a PC Engine is way harder than your average console. It, you know, without nerding out too much, the signal's weird, and it took a lot of really smart people a long time to get it right. So, you know, unless they have some very great engineers or unless they stole somebody else's design, just getting the RGB output is going to be really hard. And then on top of that, based on the looks of the pictures that they've posted, this is a very cheap HDMI chip that would do things like process 240p as 480i and add about three frames of lag. So, you know, as far as a generic for the masses cheap adapter goes, I'm going to assume that this is terrible. Uh, you know, I, I know it's a bad thing to say without actually seeing a production version, version in hand, but I think it's smart to be realistic and think that, you know, th this is going to be a low-end device. But you never know. Maybe they'll get the RGB output right, and maybe this will be the perfect thing for people that game on RGB monitors but just want to stream HDMI and don't care if their stream doesn't look that good. It's more about just playing and having fun with your friends. Hey, by all means, go for it, you know? There, there could be a use for all these. It's just, uh, it's sad to me that there isn't a very cheap, just basic plug-and-play device yet that works. Um, all the ones I've seen have been garbage. Uh, you know, I did that PC Engine in 2019 video that talked about all the solutions available today, and there are some inexpensive solutions that work amazing, but I wouldn't call them cheap still. They're $50 and over total, I believe. Uh, and the only one cheap plug-and-play solution out there is that knockoff adapter, which I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but the person selling that actually commented on that video. I pinned it to the top so no one misses it. But in, in that comment, uh, admitted it was a knockoff of the DV graphics booster, admitted that there were many versions sold, admitted that there's no way to tell who got what version, and then said they're not sure if any were bad, but I'm sure everything's fine. Not true. The version I got was terrible. You could, you know, the capacitors were backwards on one, another one was built wrong. So it's just kind of funny to see the attitude of people that sell some of these cheap knockoff devices. They, they obviously don't care at all, and they're just mad when people tell, tell the truth on why you shouldn't buy them. I hope this device isn't like that. I hope they're at least honest and say, if the chip looks like the one that's on there, I hope they say, hey, it's got RGB output and you know, HDMI is a bonus, whatever, we threw it in. That's cool, but I guess we'll see. So uh, I guess I'll end it now so I don't ramble anymore, but keep your expectations in check with stuff like this. I recently had a chance to demo the M-Cable Gaming Edition and see if it added any lag, and a lot of people seem to misunderstand the entire purpose of the video. So to skip to the end, it doesn't add lag. Therefore, in my personal opinion, it won't ruin your experience. Everything else based on that is preference. And I thought I was pretty clear about that, but a lot of people seem to, to misunderstand where I was going with this. My opinion on stuff like this is... An effect like the M-Cable does, an anti-aliasing effect, might be great for one person, might not be good for another person. 
On top of that, you might love it for some consoles and not others, but even more than that, you might like it for some games on some consoles, but not even other games on the same console. So I didn't want to get into reviewing it like that, because with all due respect, I don't care. I love my old 16-bit games, I love my 2D side-scroller modern games, and those you're going to want as sharp as possible, but for, for the most part. You know, I wouldn't want anti-aliasing. And a lot of them 3D games that I play, I think they look fine. So I just, I don't really care about anything like this. What I do care about is when preference starts to supersede the experience itself. And in a situation like this, if the M cable had added lag, then I would really want to warn people about it because it, now it's not about, you know, oh, I like this, do you like that? Now it's, now it's a hard measurement number. And it doesn't add any lag at all. I think it added like two or three milliseconds so there, if you're playing on a flat screen TV, there's no way you're going to notice that. I mean, I just, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it. I would just, in your head, just call it a zero lag solution. So go right ahead and play it if you like it, you know, it, and that's pretty much it. So I don't know, I think some people thought I had some kind of agenda for doing this, but I couldn't have possibly been more transparent. Hey everybody, I want to lag test this. Here's what the lag test said. Goodbye. <laughs> so... You can't please everybody, I guess, but uh, my, you know, my only opinion on the M cable, check out other people's videos. If you like the effect and it's, it's worth spending the money on it for you, go for it and do so confidently knowing that it's not going to ruin your experience. Um, hopefully I cleared up any misconceptions with this, but uh, yeah, it seemed like an interesting thing, just not something I would use because I don't need it. Mike Chi just posted a new video on using a RetroTINK 2X with the OSSC. So for people who aren't familiar, the OSSC, the Open Source Scan Converter, does not have S-Video or Composite Video inputs. So a lot of people were using the RetroTINK 2X in pass-through mode to go from there to the OSSC and then let the OSSC do the scaling up to 5x 1080p. In the original video that I did and the tests that I did, I used an HDMI to VGA converter for this. But with Mike's findings, he found in some scenarios using an HDMI to component video converter might have actually been a better option. So it's a, if you're using this setup, you might want to check out the video. And luckily, these extra adapters are all very, very cheap. So it's not like you just bought an OSSC, you just bought a RetroTank, and now you're going to buy some other expensive thing. They're extremely cheap adapters. And I think for most people that toy around in the retro gaming world, they're things that you're going to use more than once, meaning for, for other situations. Um, I use all of my adapters constantly for all the testing I do. So uh, if you're looking to go from S-Video or Composite into an OSSC, check this out and see if this is a better solution for you. Extremis has been continuing to work on the Game Boy interface software, and the past month or so has brought some new changes to the Standard Edition as well as the Speedrunning Edition, but has also done a bunch of updates on the main Game Boy interface wiki that really detail things like Game Boy Advance as a controller, um, how to launch it through different methods, the Game Boy Advance ROM dumper and all that stuff. So if you're if you were having problems figuring out certain things in the software, which not all of it was was very intuitive, some of it I did have trouble with every now and then, um, this is probably a great way to start. So uh, thanks to Extremes for always keeping this thing up to date and making a great way to play all these games in RGB. And uh, if you're interested, just check out the link for all of the specific details in case any of these new updates are something that applies directly to your setup. The Sega Saturn emulator Yaba Sanshiro now has the ability to render rotate background graphics in 1080p60, which is kind of similar to how in BeastNess, the Mode 7 graphics are now able to be rendered in high def.
Um, both of these things, I think, are awesome options and really great for people that, that want to get more out of emulating their old consoles. So you don't just get to use emulation, but now you add stuff to it. Um, there's now, thanks to Ray and Justin, a very cool slider tool on the site, so you'll be able to check out for yourself the difference. Um, and, you know, if you use Saturn emulation, definitely give this a try, because it just seems like a really neat way to enhance the games. And speaking of the Saturn, a developer has just posted a video showcasing an in-development Sega Saturn homebrew engine, which would allow any developers to utilize this engine to make their own games or whatever tools for the Sega Saturn. So I'm pretty excited to try it out and see what comes of this, because there's so many awesome things in the homebrew scene. Everything from like the 240p test suite up to full games created from the ground up. So hopefully we'll see some pretty awesome Saturn homebrew in the future because of this. There's been a new update to the SMS test suite. This one just added the ability to identify the Mega Drive's VDP by testing the sprite zoom capabilities. So it's really, this update is for people that want to use this test suite to start doing things with the Genesis or Mega Drive itself. But as always, I'm always hugely appreciative of these tools being put out there. Um, this one's obviously based off of, or inspired by, Artemio's 240p test suite. And Sferx has done a lot of great work on it since it was released. I think I bugged him asking for a feature or two here and there. So uh, great to see. And once again, these tools are just so handy for testers, developers, or just nerds looking to mess with things and calibrate. So uh, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to see what else comes out of this. The Scuff Gaming Company has opened pre-orders for their Prestige Xbox controller, which is also going to be compatible with PC and Android. And prices start at about $160, but could go up pretty steep depending on what customization options you'd like. And I guess it's kind of similar to the official Microsoft Elite controller, just offering some different options and some different features. So if you're into custom high-end controllers for your Xbox, definitely check this one out. It looks like the team behind Final Burn Alpha has left and created Final Burn Neo as its replacement. Apparently this is all over drama around that Capcom home arcade thing and, you know, was it supposed to be licensed, wasn't it? I don't know, I really don't want to get involved in that drama, respectfully to all sides. Uh, I think Modern Vintage Gamer uh, kind of goes into detail in one of his videos about it. So, um, Ronnie also has a really great post on RetroRGB about things, as well as a bunch of improvements that the FB Neo team are looking to implement. So, while I, you know, I don't like drama like this and I, I wish everything could work itself out, I'm always really happy to see new enhancements, especially in arcade emulation, because it's just impossible for everyone to have every arcade board, and having a really great uh, arcade emulation experience is something that I hope we all could experience, and with faster computers and better emulation, uh, it could absolutely be possible. So, good luck to the Final Burn Neo team, and I hope to see great things from them. I just uploaded a video demoing the Zsworks Zero Lag LCD kit, and while I hope you'll still watch the video, I'll give you the quick rundown here. Um, his kit, when installed, does give a zero lag experience, or at least less than one millisecond, so certainly uh, could be called zero in our retro gaming terms. And the integer scaling, when you have a source that's compatible, works ridiculously good. Like, I've never seen retro games look this sharp just being played on flat screens like this before. And in fact, I haven't even seen retro games look this good on flat screens unless it was pre-rendered footage, like some of the stuff I've shown previously that I've done. So, while it has the potential just to be a, a killer monitor, 
there are some incompatibilities and some issues that I ran into. And maybe some of the issues were based on the converter I was using. Maybe I got a bump kit or I, maybe I flashed the firmware wrong. But it seemed like for console use, it was really buggy. For PC use, I still had some issues, but it seemed a little bit more solid. Um, and I'm going to continue, hopefully continue to work with Zeiss to, to get new firmwares and to try to get this thing working a little bit better with gaming. Um, I wanted to get the video out now just, just because I've been working on this thing for a long time. And, you know, it's an accurate representation of the way the kit is today. But tomorrow you might get a brand new firmware or maybe six months from now or maybe never. I don't know. But uh, I just a lot of people always ask about whatever happened with the Zeiss Works kit. Does it work? Can I use it with my CPS2 HDMI kits? Um, and I really just wanted to get the video out there and at, at least give everybody the short, short version of um, it might be awesome for your scenario. It's not awesome for all scenarios yet, but with some tweaking, it certainly could be. Uh, so please check out the video. Uh, let me know what you think of it. And hopefully I didn't piss off these too much with my million questions back and forth. <laughs> and hopefully I'll hear from them soon with some updates. The Virtual Boy developer Thunderstruck has just created a Vectrix emulator for the Virtual Boy. It runs very slow at the moment, but it has the potential for optimization and it would be a pretty neat way to experience Vectrix games. There were actually a few Vectrix games out there that use this weird contraption that's like a 3D goggles with a CD thing that spins in front of it. Cousin Scott loves it. I gotta do a video on this one of these days just for people to see it. Um, I think Vectrix Roly may have done a few videos on it as well, but I'm just really interested in seeing how that would work because I think the platform of a Virtual Boy might actually fit Vectrix emulation really well. So. I guess, uh, you know, that'll all remain to be seen if anybody wants to do the optimization and get it up to full speed. But, man, what a really cool thing to work on. So uh, thanks to Thunderstruck, and we'll see if this takes hold. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody who watches and listens, and, of course, everybody who supports the channel, because without your support, these videos and all of the behind-the-scenes work would never happen. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.